Hello, this is Dave Hodges, USA Eagles forwards coach from Longmont, Colorado, and you're listening to Rugger Makes USA. Thanks, Dave Hodges, joining us from the American Eagles coaching staff. This is episode 013 of Rugger Matrix USA, Superstar. Yes, the Super League is underway, but what a wild and woolly weekend. Bruce McLean talks about it firsthand on episode 13 of Rugger Matrix USA. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 13. Not too scared about that number, are you, Bruce McLean? But I know what a cold weekend for the opening uh, weekend of Super League. Bronk, I'll tell you, I have I have only seen conditions like this once, and and it was it was savage. And we we played in sixty mile an hour sustained winds, and there was wow. six inches of rain. There were trees down everywhere. It's Tuesday as we record this. And there's still a half million people in in the New York area without power, and this flooding all over the place, and rivers haven't even crested yet. It was the craziest thing you'd ever seen in your life. But I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun. A couple games to report on, and my God, do we have an excellent guest today? Absolutely. Well, as he said in the introduction, Dave Hodges, uh, Bruce, uh, just tell us a bit about Dave's background because it's pretty impressive. Yeah, Dave. Uh, Dave played football at Occidental College, and 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 then he became a he became a football coach. Then he got himself he he got himself into he was in the he played rugby at Occidental College too, and then he then he was an All American. Then he became a football coach, and he got back into rugby, played rugby, and uh, became a professional rugby player at at Clinetley and played for Clinetley for like. I think it was about 10 years and then he um he was an eagle didn't get didn't get his first eagle cap until he was 29 his first starting cap and he got about close to 60 caps as an eagle I, it was definitely I think it was over 50 so it was relatively impressive Dave I didn't put all the I didn't put all the stats up in front of me but uh Welcome to the show, Dave. And and you could maybe tell us how many caps you had. And and I, I know it was kind of interesting how you started. I think you started 28 or 29 years old. And uh, so don't give up, people. You, there is still a chance to become Dave Hodges. Don't think, oh, I haven't been selected. I'm 23 years old. These guys don't like me. They only pick people from California. Blah 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 blah. Hey, relax. Take your time. Learn your craft. You still can become an eagle a little bit later in life. Welcome, Dave. Yeah, Bruce, uh, you, you sold, sold me a bit short. I was 28, uh, not 29 when I started, but uh, nonetheless, a bit <laughs> bit later in the career to uh, to get your international start. And then 54 caps is what I ended up with in the end. That's amazing. 54 well, caps from 28, Bruce. Uh, so, Dave, did you, did you ever give up? Obviously, you didn't, uh-huh. but did you think about it? Uh, you know, no, I mean, I, when I, uh, I kind of came, came back to rugby after, uh, chasing football and, uh, and, uh, you know, I gave myself a, a two year goal of trying to make the U S team. So, uh, I was fortunate enough to kind of get within the system in a year. So, um, you know, there was no, um, really give up there. It, it kind of fit within the timeline I'd laid out. That's what, that's what people have to, people really have to look at. 
putting a timeline together and really throwing all their eggs in one basket. That was one of the things that, that Todd Clever said is if you're going to go for it, go for it. Don't half go for it and expect something to come your way. You got to go for it the whole way. Yeah, it's a tough, um, you know, and certainly a lot of countries and ours no different in the sense of uh, our, our athletes really have to sacrifice a lot to uh, get to that level. Um, and if you have all of the, the kind of normal things of a, a family, mortgage, job, it, it makes it really difficult. I, I, at that point, was still really involved in athletics, um, coming over from uh, coaching football. So I was relatively um, free to, to pursue that. But I, like I said, I didn't want to do it too long. I, I knew I had a window and kind of stuck to that window. But it, fortunately, it worked out. Well, Bruce, uh, can I just say to Dave, thanks for getting up pretty early for this show. Uh, we are scattered in our time zones. But, uh, gentlemen, we've got a lot to cover this weekend because it's the first weekend of, of Super League. And I know you mentioned how cold it was uh, for your match, Bruce. But uh, overall, uh, let's uh, start with you, Dave. What did you think of the uh, first weekend? Um, yeah, there were a lot of a lot of weather issues. I, I, you know, the... Potomac Charlotte game was uh, they had called it off and they're going to replay that April third. But uh, the, the the two New York teams, Old Blue and uh, Nyack, both got their games underway and, and to their credit, um, with this huge storm, we're both able to get the games videoed. Um, you know, it's not like they have uh, big press boxes where they can go under. So I was I was uh, very happy to see that they stuck with it and got their games captured yeah well bronc this actually was a, a this was a big weekend and and it was it was good to be able to get the games in and it was good to get started um my club new york athletic club beat the boston irish wolfhounds 32 nothing got a bonus point and and that was huge boston rugby club beat old blue 20 to nothing and and they they scored three tries and and, and apparently were knocking for a bonus point uh dallas harlequins played the Chicago Griffins. Chicago Griffins picked up a few people from Pearl City. Uh, they got Suniula and they got Kiki in the midfield. And I'll tell you, that's pretty pretty potent and big midfield. And I think they used it to good effect, beating Dallas 35-13. to 13. Old Puget Sound, who is coached by Evan Haig, who's Jeremy Bynan's buddy, they they beat Ombak, Old Mission Beach Athletic Club, I believe that's Dave's old club, 50-21. to 21. And that was a surprise on the weekend. Maybe not a surprise that they won. Probably a surprise they won, but it was at Old Puget Sound. But um, in the manner in which they won, it was it was a massive surprise. And in a game, a game that Dave saw, Paul Keeler's Golden Gate team beat his old club that he coached last year, Denver Barbarians, 31-17. And he'd probably be more in a place to comment on that. Well, I just I think all the games, with the exception of of Old Puget had weather issues. Um, certainly Chicago did by all accounts, uh, had a, a storm. And, uh, so the, I think the old Puget sound was the only one that didn't have really weather issues. The, the Denver one didn't have, um, horrific ones, but it was snowing at the start of the game and, uh, fairly wet on the field for the guys. Um, so the, 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 the golden gate team came out and scored, uh, pretty early and, and, put the pressure on uh, on the Denver team. I mean there was a lot of uh drop balls and Golden Gate took advantage of some on or sorry of some Denver Barbarian mistakes. Yeah, Dave, I, I think that I 
I think actually that's pretty good. Given that the World Cup is in New Zealand and given that we're going to start doing European tours in November, it, it's one thing when you're playing a summer a summer thing with the Churchill Cup and everything, and, and the weather's generally pretty good for that. Um, but when you're going to be going to Europe in November and you're going to be going to New Zealand in uh, in 2011, you're really going to be looking at, at weather issues the entire time. So having the players being used to playing in poor weather is going to be relatively important, I think. Would you agree with me? Uh, definitely. I mean, I had about, I had eight years practice of playing in a swimming pool um, when I was in Wales, really. You know, the, there was rarely a day that we went out to the training field where it wasn't wet. So um, it certainly conditioned you to, to – play with under those circumstances but as a if you have uh, hopes to play internationally you, you can't let you know a wet ball be an excuse to not catch it you know every once in a while maybe but it's it can't be a you know every time it comes to you you fumble it and there, there were certainly people that had issues with it from the game from um the the games i watched i mean yours was a little bit better worse because it was windy and wet but um in that denver game it wasn't windy and there was a lot of drop balls uh, just because it was wet, so it's uh, it's something that players have to adapt to, and and the ones that do will go on further. Well, you watched that game with Eddie O'Sullivan. Um, did you see any people who stood out to you, or somebody that you found that was new, somebody that you thought was um, could be a member of the Eagles, possibly that you hadn't you hadn't really had on your radar screen in the past. Um, not, even... not per se. I mean, the guys that were, are kind of in the pool, we, we kind of all did fairly well. Um, it was early in the season and I think they certainly all left some room for improvement. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for Golden Gate, I think, um, Mele Pulu certainly, um, you know, is a, is a kind of a sevens specialist at the time, but he's, uh, he's, he's shown some, flair and 15s game and uh, i think he you know of the guys that haven't really been capped that were on that field uh he certainly stood out as did uh, you know danny laprevet had a solid game as well um but he's he's been on the screen and uh he, he he certainly did play well in that game as well of the of the guys that are on the screen that weren't capped yeah, well, La Pravada is definitely an animal. I, I like his, I like his play, and and if Clever's playing eight in the in the Super fourteen in the Super fourteen, and I don't know if Nick Johnson is still hurt or not, but that definitely gives you some that could give you some options to have yourself between Danny and Louie and 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 Todd, possibly at eight or Nick at eight, and and you could you could really mess around with that with that team and have a bigger back row, especially now that the uh, the forager is is kind of being refereed out of the game. Uh, you know, Nick Johnson did play. I don't think he was at 100. Um, percent He he was you know in into the close to the weekend. They weren't sure if he was going to play. I believe so. Uh, he he wasn't at 100. percent And then Sam and Mona, who normally for Golden Gate is a second row, played eight, and uh, you know he acquitted himself fairly fairly well at the back of the scrum. He certainly. You know, it takes some experience to get used to um, balls that aren't so good at your feet. And so there was a little bit of trouble there for him. But I think in general, he's a big unit coming off the back. So once he gets, once he figures out how to 
um, control the ball at the back there. He could he could be an interesting option. Let's talk about a couple things about what you're doing with the Super League in terms of your video programming. And, and I just wanted to talk through exactly what that is and the benefits to all the clubs and, and some of the things and the benefits to the Eagles and the selection process as well. And then if you could talk about the level of play, standard of play, I mean, speed of play and standards in the league. Well, it probably would have been a little bit better to talk about this next week when there wasn't so many weather issues or a so savage of a weather issue. But anyway, you've, you've seen it. You've seen enough video to and, and you've coached in the league long enough to know what uh, what what the answers to those questions are in your mind. Yeah. So the. Some of the genesis was out of um, a bit of frustration coming back um, after I'd been back a year and I took on the, the Denver Barbarians and uh, as uh, the head coach and, and trying to get video on the opposition because um, we were always going to capture ourselves. And it just there was no way to really do that. There were some teams that were um, sending DVDs around, but I figured, you know, that wasn't the be- most efficient way because – at best, you get it if they send it out Monday overnight. You get it Tuesday, and uh, you, you've already, you know, you're probably into training before you have a chance to look at it. Um, so I was trying to think. There's got to be a way to get the the video quicker with technology, and uh, a, a way for the the league to um, have a platform that uh, they can all everyone can do it, and so that it's fair in a sense of, you know, not one team is getting advantage because they have video and another team doesn't. So I tried to um, get it through Super League my first year, but uh, it was, you know, that was, it it just wasn't ready at that time. And, uh, you know, there was, the second year they tried to get it off the ground, but there was nobody really to drive it. So I'm in the fortunate position to, as part of my responsibilities, to be uh, the performance analyst and responsible for video. So now I can really spend some time and, and, and get this thing off the ground. And we work partnered with um, our editing software, which is the sports tech company. And uh, they've been really good in helping the teams, uh, you know, get this up and running. Cause there's 14 different teams, 14 different computers, cameras, different formats. It, it, it was quite an undertaking had some growing pains, but uh, I think by and large, it's going to be a beneficial program. All the teams will be able to look at each other's performance and scout their opposition as well as, you know, for us from the national team perspective, we'll be able to make more informed selections. The guy, you know, the guys we're looking at will be able to go through our analysis system, see how the numbers pan out backed up by video. And uh, it just, it's, it's a little bit better than, you know, kind of seeing a game here and there as a as a selector, or um, you know, talking to coaches, and just it's kind of word of mouth type of deal. Yeah, well, that that I just wanted to describe for everybody um, <clears throat> what you were telling Mike Tolkien and I via email yesterday is to actually how all the players, not not only the coaches can watch it, all the players can watch it, and if you could describe the the mobile me account thing and just talk us through that so just so that players and coaches here oh yeah i can do that and then everybody can see everything that they need to see well it's that's that's on the mac platform and it's pretty helpful it's a it's it's their email mobile me is their their email their cloud if you will their cloud computing so their storage is is uh, on that site and it also has a a player so 
you can just upload your videos there as the coach and then give all the players a link. So, you know, most of the teams were trying to get everything done with the, the, the Super League teams initially. And, and, you know, maybe at some point we can roll this out to other other leagues. But, you know, we're just trying to, to make sure this is right the first time through here. And uh, if, if, if you get your video done and in the computer and, and, and in the right format on Sunday, you can the players can start looking at their performance Sunday afternoon um, as opposed to, um, you know, getting into Tuesday and, and possibly Thursday. That's the, the normal routine. Uh, that, and that's one thing, you know, when I was coaching Denver, we, we made part of our strategy was, you know, we had two hours twice a week and, and uh, we took some of that time to you know, probably a half hour which is, is tough because then you don't have a lot of field time, but half hour of that to, to watch video on Tuesday. And then you had to split that into being pretty efficient watching your performance. And then, um, you know, if you had something on the opposition to watch them. Now now all the teams will. So hopefully uh, everyone, you know, rises their level. The other thing about it is, you know, you can see what other teams are doing and, and, and you can either confirm what you're doing is right or, you know, say, hey, that's a, probably a good idea. Maybe we should incorporate that. wanted to just ask you, what was your impression of the breakdown law interpretations uh, that have changed uh, for this year? What was your, Did you get any idea of any, any sense that the game had changed at ground level? Yeah, I think <laughs> I, from my perspective, what I've seen in these games so far, um, you know, even even watching um, the Six Nations a little bit, and then watching our stuff is the, the players. There seems to be a lot of confusion still, even with the referees and the players. And so I, I think there's, you know, maybe this thing gets worked out. But at the moment, people are confused in terms of you know of this whole this whole new ruling on the on the breakdown. And so it just, I think it just needs a bit of clarity. And Bruce is at the coalface, so he he can probably speak to you on on his interaction with the referee and and then how it played you know pregame and how it played out. I can just see the result and can tell that there's some inconsistency because it's it's unclear. Well, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a lack of clarity right now. But what's happening is it's getting better and better. Our referee manager uh, Ed Todd and Richard Every have been sending out videos explaining exactly how they're making the calls. And, and I think that where it comes down, the, the biggest point of the biggest point of contention isn't necessarily to tackle or getting up and making the play. It's it's more the body sack type of play. So like if you've if I've if you run into me Bronk and I've body sacked you and I don't have I don't physically have the ball off the ground as I body sack you, mm. I have to step back and come back through the gate. Yep. in order to make that play. And that's where the confusion is. Guys are body sacking and then going for the ball, but the person has their head or their hand or something is beyond them so that they're actually within the gate. They're not outside of the gate coming back through the gate. And and I think that's where the biggest that's where the biggest confusion lies at the moment. So essentially, unless you have the ball off the ground the entire time, then the tackled player or the player on the ground has to give rights to you. But if, if you knock the guy down and he has the ball while he's on the ground, you can't just go play it. You either have to go down to a knee with him, release him, and then make a play, or you have to or you have to step back and come back through the gate. 
other than that, I think it's all right. I, I think that what most teams are doing is just kind of almost like 2001 in the in the or 2000 in the Super 14, just kind of kind of laying off a little bit, and and really only going for it when there's when there's a real opportunity to get it. So that that's kind of what I found, and 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 then when when teams actually do go for the ball in a contestable situation, and and it and it looks like it's kind of a 50-50 defense is going to get popped. They're just going to get penalized. And that basically, right or wrong, they're going to get penalized. So there's almost no sense in going in. It's a tough job for the referee to nail everything at the breakdown and still make sure everyone's on side. And I'm just noticing it that it's starting to, starting to fall apart a bit, Bruce. You need two referees, Bronk. <laughs> you need somebody to referee the offsides. I mean, you say whatever, you, know, you can say whatever you want to say. I mean, hockey has... I, I suggested it. On the, I suggested I know, it, and I, casual, and I got shouted down. <laughs> yeah, and, well, I, you know, we we had talked about it. We had talked about it, in, in uh I think it was a Rugged Matrix podcast, and I know you had talked about it, and Casho got crazy on you, but uh, I, but I think in a Rugged Matrix podcast we had talked about it in Stellenbosch. They had done that hmm. as part of a testing thing. One guy watches one side of the field, one guy watches the other. The guy who has that side of the field watches the breakdown. The guy who has the other side of the field watches the offside line. Hmm. And as Dave said, the, the last foot, I mean, forget it. They don't call the last foot. Hmm. And, you know. I can send you a but, clip. I can send you a clip from the Chiefs Crusaders game on Friday where the referee is turned around to look at the offside line and about three guys came in from the side and the ruck played on. Um, if he was watching it, he would have penalised it. So, you know, he's just missing major events. <laughs> In the game, and that was a tight one too. You know what I will say in fairness to our referees, though, is that they do have a tough job, and and hopefully they're going to be get, able to use this video analysis for themselves, mm. and and I they do really work very hard at getting better as they uh, as they walk as they go along. If you guys hear that in the background, that's not coming out of my butt. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, what's going on? <laughs> uh, my wife is doing something. But um, if you – and it's not coming out of her butt either. <laughs> that actually Please. didn't sound too good. Uh, but I, I, think that, I think that our referees really do try to police themselves. They do have – they're very, very hard on, on, on the refs from a, from a management perspective. And on top of that, they do talk to the coaches of both sides – every single week and there's an evaluation put in so they do they are kind of tough on them and and they are going to make improvements and and it will get better as time goes on and the touch judges are are, are relatively unbiased they get really good touch judges i think and it's it's only going to get better in that sense and i i did have one last question for dave um before we get into the coaching segment dave did you um is this going to be moved into the elite colleges like e even if it's just for the Elite eight games and and you know the four games of the of the eight and then the semi and the final is, is that is there a plan of doing that to try to find out some up and comers help pick an all American team and that kind of stuff and then use it for the collegiate all star stuff and possibly the high school high school championships if you, even if you just went down to the to the knockout stages. I mean, this, Bruce, again, getting back to uh, this, the, the, what we want to do is do it well for the Super League this year. Now, as, as a systemized approach to the league. The, now, in terms of players, Scott, we're, we're ha we're happy to look at 
um, any player. And, and, and so if people want to send us video, then we'll look at that. And that, so that's always still going to be on the cards in terms of a systemized approach for the, for the colleges. You know, there's, there's certainly quite a few colleges right now. And with the, with the current setup, it would be pretty unwieldy to try to get that off the ground with the super league where, you know, as, as much as we have 14 teams, it's a controlled environment to a sense, um, you know, and you have, you know, 14 teams in just a, a short geographic area in college. So, um, until they, until something changes in the college competition to have a, a full on, um, league approach will be pretty difficult. Now, we can certainly learn from this process, and, and, and maybe a year, two, three years down the road, there's a point where each college league has their own system like this, and, and that would be great, and I think it will certainly help improve the game. Just, just to go back, though, a little bit to the referees, the referees, I didn't mention it, but that's going to be a big part of this. They have access to these games, so they'll, they'll be able, just as the players and teams do, be able to analyze their performance um, the the other thing the referees have is they have they all the the referees that do super league matches all have mics now DeGiro, that might sound you know like well of course they do but that hasn't always been the case so um, you know in terms of the assistant referees now they are marked to the head referee and so hopefully that improves the game and you know while they can get their workflow right in terms of who's watching the the offside line who's watching the breakdown that's a that's a great that's a great move and um it makes all the difference because uh i'm i'm a big fan of referees i used to be a referee uh, myself in uh, in another cut in another code but um they do need all the help they can get and my point is that we do we're sort of making it a bit harder for them uh, but we'll move on from that. Uh, and, Bruce, before we get into the coaching, I need to uh, cover off my, my favourite player, and that's, of course, uh, Todd Clever, who appears on our uh, website in uh, an extensive interview at Coogee Beach. Did you catch it, Bruce? Yes, I did. I thought it was actually a very good uh, – it was a good interview. And your background was, you know, basically <laughs> tenements, uh, and Todd was on the beach. Yeah. So that looked uh, – you should have probably put yourself on the beach too, <laughs> instead yeah. of standing at the. Uh, he was the, he's the Baywatch-looking guy, so unfortunately. Yes, he definitely think, had the Baywatch look. They're very lucky. Lucky people have a block of flats right on the the headland at Coogee, so uh, good luck. Good luck to them. But uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Dave, uh, this uh, this this week is a tough week for um, the Lions and the team that the American captain played for. They were beaten seventy-three points to twelve. Uh, completely annihilated by a team that really um, was struggling to get their act together, the Waratahs. Um, have you have you been in touch with um, with Todd Todd this week, or have you have you let him go? I haven't been in touch. I figured uh, they had some pretty pressing issues to to sort out there. So, um, uh, interesting uh, note of of Todd. Um, like you said, we put all the the national team videos up online for the guys. Um, and uh, he was struggling with his internet connection in South Africa. I guess it wasn't the the fastest. <laughs> and uh, so back in September, I sent him. I just made some DVDs for him, and just this week they they came back in the mail. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, as much as we try to be better technology wise, sometimes it still falls down. Um, I thought he he played a pretty good game. He um, he copped a bit of a knock and. 
to credit to Tom Carter, who's uh, the 13 for the New South Wales, he was a bit concerned. He actually asked, he demanded that the referee uh, and their medical team, the Lions, check him out because uh, he looked a bit dazed. But he was certainly involved, high energy. Um, but in the end, uh, the, the, the Lions had no answer to the, uh, to the Waratahs' attack. He talked to me about a lot of lessons, and I think uh, some of these lessons now uh, against the big boys are, pre- are pretty important for him. And uh, he's playing number eight. Firstly, what do you think about that, Dave? And and do you think he's, he's going to be much better off after another season starting in Super 14? Well, I, I certainly think that, um, you know, they, Todd has some, um, some explosive moxie to him, you know, and so... He's probably. I think they probably figure that he's he's pretty tough on that first. Once he picks up the ball, the you know if he can make that first guy miss, which is uh, huge coming out the back of the scrum, then you then you're in business. So I think that's probably what they they see in Todd and and putting him at eight. Uh, he's just in terms of when we play him though, he's such a good um, player in terms of his fitness. First of all, so he gets to things. And then, and, and secondly, he's, he's destructive defensively. So that's why we kind of play him at seven. We're fortunate to have a, a few guys that can play eight as well. But, you know, certainly Todd can play across the back row for us. And it's just about choosing the best spot for the team and what the team needs when he's with us. Bruce, uh, Todd was very aggressive in the game. Um, I, I think I lost count the amount of times he was wrestling Phil Wall. I know who I'd back in that fight, but Phil Phil Wall was a bit of a gladiator, and in the end got the points with the victory. But uh, he was playing his 119th game for New South Wales. But uh, certainly, um, Todd's uh, aggression was at the fore in this game. Todd is a very aggressive player, and and he definitely he definitely brings it, and 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 you know sometimes sometimes loses his cool a little bit. And but I I will say, I mean. It is. He's definitely an interesting option at number eight. And as far as, you know, he's the guy who could stay back. He can catch kicks. He could kick the ball downfield. He's an excellent lineout jumper. He's actually a very good lineout lifter as well. So there's there's a lot of things about Todd at eight that could make him interesting. There's a lot of things about Todd at seven where he's proven to be a very successful player. Then there's a lot of things about Todd at six where he's proven to be a very successful player. You know, six may get him more touches of the ball. Six may you let him be more of a line-out option. There's a lot of things where you, where you really kind of have to have, play a balancing act, and it's going to be difficult for Dave and Eddie and, and Dan Payne and, 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 and uh, Bill LeClaire to make that choice as to where it is best and what is the best makeup of the Eagle team heading into the World Cup. Well, Churchill Cup first, but, you know, really thinking ahead to the World Cup. Because and, and 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 this weekend, Romania is going to be. I mean, um, Georgia is going to be playing Russia, and I think that that's going to be, that's going to be the game that determines who's going to be you the European two side, and then I think Dave will start to be cutting tapes on on that team so that we could hopefully get ourselves a win in the World Cup and be and be a leg up and then get into playing Italy and have and have a go there. So that was. Um, and, uh, and, and Bruce, uh, the secret of the Eagles' success, Dave, I know this will happen, is that uh, Todd told me that uh, all the calls are in Afrikaans, so he's an expert in Afrikaans, and I reckon if you pull those off, you'll beat Canada every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've brought some of my uh, 
one of one of the best coaches I had was was in college football, and uh, we always tried to make the calls as as simple as possible, and and I tried to bring that into rugby. So the guys give me a hard time all the time, but uh, I, the calls have to be monosyllabic, so one syllable, and uh, th- that's typically how we go. So a lot of times teams will have a nine eight seven yeah. five four, you know, in a Mississippi. And then by the time you've made the call, the defense has changed. So I'm pretty, uh, you know, I, I want one word call and get the ball in and away. Mm. Let alone learning another language. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So um, that Todd Clever, uh, a big, uh, a big one, and it doesn't get any easier. They face the Crusaders this week, so. Uh, he's got his work for, cut out for him. So, Bruce, let's move along to the coaching segment uh, before we finish with Dave. Yeah, Dave, the coaching segment this week is the momentum changer of rugby, the thing that nobody practices enough and everybody says, why can't we get it right? Restarts, kickoffs in particular. And everybody practices scrums. Everybody practices lineouts. You know, you're going to have eh, 15... 15, 18 scrums a game. You may have 20 lineouts a game, something like that. You're going to have 12 restarts. If you say each team scores five times and you have the and you have the half and and, and the half, so you're going to have 12 restarts, and you got to get them right because right after you score, if you could regather and attack off the restart or kick it downfield and regain territory, you're in a good spot. If the other team scores, especially if they score three, and you could regather your own kickoff and get yourself some momentum going, you have an opportunity to really get going. So, Dave, I wanted to talk us through how do you coach restarts? What's so important? And I know the and I know the huge thing that you have is you want players to be able to play the game above their head because we're used to playing basketball and. You want players to be able to do things above their head. Can you just talk us through some of your thoughts in that area? Boy, I could. Uh, I think we could do about a two-hour show on this one. But um, I, I think that's a huge strength for us as as Americans. It's not just basketball, Bruce. It's it's American football. Uh, you know, every every player in American football that would would have a chance of catching the ball would be coached, and it's similar in basketball in the sense of. In, in American football, when the ball's in the air, you want to get it at the highest point. So that means you want to catch the ball at the top of your jump with your arms fully extended. Now, it's a difficult skill in the sense of you can't just go out and do it, and it's certainly a lot harder to catch that way than to catch it or gather it around your chest area. But if you think about like you watch rugby, most of the guys that go up for a ball are going to try and you watch it internationally, they're going to try to catch it jump and catch it around their chest area so and 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 one of my teammates was world class at it probably the best that's that's been around in in my opinion was dan lyle and uh, he was a tight end in football so that's how he got that skill you know he worked on that catching the ball above your head at the top of your jump the highest point so you know if, if two guys are going up and everything being equal one's trying to catch it around his head chest and the other guy's catching that ball with soft hands above his head he's gonna win so it's a skill I think a lot of Americans have. It's something that uh, I think, you know, going down the track that we can exploit. And, and, and it, it's those little things that can change a game. Uh, if you're ca- now, and when you apply that to restarts, 
the ball is being kicked. And if you got, you got this, this, this kind of gets to the figuring out what your team is. Now, before we, we get into everything restarts, you have to figure out what the skill level of the, of the players are. I mean, if you want the ball kicked in a certain area, uh, can your guys kick it in that area? I mean, that's, that's something, that's our reality. It may, from, from your perspective, it may sound um, strange with professional players because you'd, you'd think that, yeah, they would be able to put it in that area every time. But it's not always the case with our domestic game. And uh, so we have to look at say, hey, if I want the ball on the high on the um, 22 and five yards in, you know, can we put it there? That's the first thing we got to start with. Well, I the Australians in 1999, if I if I recall from uh, from Rod McQueen's book, that they their thing was to kick. They would just look out, try to find the shortest player, and just kick to him, and then and then deal with it there. That that was one of their ploys. Um, you know, obviously tr- looking at the wrong side, looking at the wrong side of the field, looking to see where where is where can you exploit them. Teams have tendencies in scrums and lineouts. Teams also have tendencies in restarts. Some teams just put pack left and just hit it there every time. They either kick it short or they kick it deep. You know, some teams put pack right if they have a left-footed kicker, they, and then they just kick it short or kick it deep. Very few teams kick to the wrong side of the field or, or the or the or the off side of the field, and very few teams kick in the middle. So that, that's just you know that that's just some things that you know and that, again no, that comes back to the pet peeve that Juro and I had before like guys say well he's a line out thrower like you know a line out thrower actually goes out and throws all the time there's no excuse for a guy to show up not able to throw in the line out that that's my feeling there's no excuse I... for for a guy to show up and not be able to kick off you know I mean the the, the there was a guy. I need my recovery day. It, you don't need a lot of recovery to go kick off. You know, <laughs> kicking off doesn't take a lot out of you. You know, no. uh, throwing a lineout ball doesn't take a lot out of you. You know, that that could be part of your recovery, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I, I, guys like I need my. Give me a break. You can't go out for a half hour and throw. You can't go out for a half hour and kick off. You know, th- these are skills that you get selected on. And if you're not going to be good at things that you're going to be selected for, then you know what? You really then it's it's very difficult to play with a guy like that. No, it's it is. I mean, but it's just I'm just speaking from a, a point of reality. In an ideal world, Bruce, yeah, that would be that would be the case that you know the guy just kicking the ball can put it on a pinpoint where you want it. But reality in 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 the, in the Super League and. And our domestic rugby is not not the case. Now, certainly, we'd like all players to be more skillful and uh, work on their requirement at their position to to get that more in line with what international rugby is. But you know, th- that's our challenge day in and day out as coaches, isn't it? So, um, but that's I'm just saying from a from a strategy perspective, you have to look and say, well, where are we right now, and can we put that ball where we want? And the other part is. You know, what's your goal? Uh, what's the goal of this this restart? Uh, if 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 I'm the team kicking it, I want to get that ball back on on their side of the field. If we get the ball back on their side of the field, whether they kick it to touch, if they turn it over, or they just kick it in field to us, then I think that's a, a decent outcome from the receiving team. If we can get the ball back on their side of the field in some fashion. Then that's probably a, a decent outcome. Ideally, I would rather have it off the field 
so that we can reset the defense on on their side. So I think you you have to kind of have those that framework of what what's your goal and then put a strategy together to achieve that. A lot of um, the interesting note on this is uh, in terms of you talked about people don't spend a lot of time on it. Uh, if we think back to American football, a lot of, most coaches say that the kicking game is is a third of the game. And uh, I certainly, when my first year with Clinathlete, it was the last time the, the All Blacks had played uh, a club team. Uh, on Thursday night, I went and watched them train, and uh, they spent a half hour receiving restarts. Now, now maybe they knew they were going to put, I think, 75 on us, so <laughs> they knew that that was going to be a good strategy for them. But I think, I, I think more to the point is that was a, a typical session for them. They, they spent a lot of time on, on restarts. All right, even the great ones uh, can stuff those up. I remember watching Matt Burke putting at least three for the Waratahs uh, at restart time, uh, not the 10 metres. Embarrassing for him and pretty embarrassing for the Waratahs. So I don't think it happened to, uh, to him again, Bruce, and he made sure he went back out. Even as good a player as he was, he had to keep training to make sure. Dave, I wanted to ask you about the height of the restart. Can you can you ever possibly kick it too high, or is it better to put the opposition under pressure with a an enormously high ball? I I think you probably can kick it too high. I mean, it just again, it gets down to your individual strategy. If you kick it too high, um, then everyone's standing there waiting for it to come down, and it's a bit fifty fifty. Mm. If you can put the ball where you want it, as as the team kicking off and uh, you're running onto it, generally it's going to be a little bit better for you if you can time it so that as they're running onto it, they jump without breaking stride and catch the ball at the highest point. To me, that's an ideal situation. Um, it, it's pretty hard for the receiving team to run onto it as well because they don't necessarily know where it's going, first of all. And secondly, they're, they're probably not getting a, a, as good of a run-up on it. We'll start with a kickoff strategy, and we'll just do a, we'll do a, we'll we'll do a standard one, we'll do a wrong side one, and a little bit deeper. When you have your runners running down onto the ball, let's just assume a perfect situation. How many guys would you have going down? Pack left. Ball's going to be kicked off 15, 20 yards in, and it's going to go high. And how many guys would you have going down onto the ball as contesters? Yeah, two, well, two, well, three, typically, or... what what I like to do is is have your your wing, which is hopefully the the left wing, um, and you can certainly make it. You know, if you if you like the way the the right wing tackles better, you can certainly swap them for that occasion. But I I, I like to have one guy go straight to the ball, and um, and try and make a play on it. Now you have to kind of look at your strategy. Do you have a, a flanker <laughs> that's really fast and a kicker that can put it where you want it and, and that he could challenge that ball. I mean, and typically... Well, let's make let's make the assumption that you have a good kicker. We're going to have to assume that. In right. Order to, right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, no I, I think I think I want um, the to have somebody going um, on their own for that ball. Now, the rest of the guys we talk about, this is on a deep kick, Bruce. Um, and we, we want that ball around the five and the 22. Now it's, it's a, it's a bit of a risky proposition there because, you know, you, you certainly can be off just a little bit and that ball goes out on the full. And now you're talking about being back at halfway, 
with the other team having a, a nice attacking ball. But um, having said that, if, if we can get that right, we want to have a guy go down and challenge be as fast as he can, and, and maybe he gets there and the ball's in the air and he can make a play on it. Usually, you know, maybe the, the guy has a chance to catch it and then he's going to try and tackle him. And we have the rest of the guys only going as fast as our slowest guy, right? So they're spread across the field. We try to intersperse um, front rows with uh, either back rows or second rows so we don't have two. I mean, there's a lot of ground to cover there, right? And, uh, it's pretty difficult on, on, on some of the front row guys if they're having a lot of space to cover there. So we, we try to look at that space, the, uh, the players appropriately there. But the, the issue I think a lot of teams get into there is that, okay, that generally that phase you're going to make a tackle if you're organized, if, you, if you're all up in a line and you've got the guy forcing the, the, the wing coming down, forcing the ball carrier to either make a pass or, or – to take the ball up and then the rest of uh, the, the guys were there in an organized fashion. And, and hopefully that's a sprint moment for everybody, but it can't be in ones and twos because there's, it's pretty difficult proposition if you're not in a, in a line there. And um, the, the, I think the issue a lot of times comes with teams after that, they get very narrow once the, the focus is on the ruck and you even see it internationally. Um, and so if there's a quick ball there, there's an opportunity for the team receiving to get around the corner. Now, it's a, there's a point of diminishing returns because you make a stake in this area of the field, and, uh, you know, and then you're, you're trying to play defense and you're 22. But, you know, the, so it's, it's, you've got to kind of look at the, the positives there and, in terms of, you know, well, if, if, we, if we play this ball and it's a quick ball, are they, uh, are they sitting back in terms of, the team kicking and we can get around the corner on them or are they up and we can put the ball in behind and, and, and cross halfway, get a line out and then reset our defense. Well, what do you, it, all right, that, that's a longer kick. And I, it's funny. I would, I would, I would probably, I would try to challenge that. I, I think if you can get a kick on the 22 and the five, I, I would expect that the winger would be able to, I would expect that the winger would be able to get down onto that ball and, and make a play. And I, I would probably try to have someone with him either at his inside. So if he does make a play on the ball, tap it, tap it toward the inside, or I, I may even have a guy gamble through where they run. Maybe your second row can get there. Maybe, your, maybe your number eight can get there and have your winger make a gamble run past the ball and have our guy, have our guy go for it with another guy inside of him and that gamble run past the ball. If they spill it and knock it backward or it gets kind of tipped in the air, he's past the ball. He can get a, he can get a cheap pickup and possibly a try or, or, or something where he just, where he makes a big play. I, I think you see effective, there's effective kickoffs where you kick, but you have a couple guys go past where the ball is going to land because things happen, balls get spilled, balls bounce off guys' chests, off their shoulders, and you can make a kind of a play on that. Do you guys ever do that, or, or is that anything you've ever coached before? That would be something more, Bruce, I'd take into if you're kicking in the, in the center a bit shorter. I think uh, there, there's, there's limited numbers available to your defense when you're kicking deep because you're keeping a number of players back. Um, probably a minimum of three. The, the the wide side wing is probably in a bit of a read situation, whether he comes up or stays back. So maybe you're keeping four back. 
So now you, if you put two people chasing the ball, that's, you know, we're talking maybe taking six players out of the game and 10 have to defend pretty wide portion of the field. So, and you have to put a guy on either side, uh, you know, two players on either side of the ruck. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, kicking it deep, we, we send one and the, the rest of the chase is in a line. That's just, you know, that's just my opinion on, on that. Now, certainly, if we're going to go try to recapture this and we're kicking it in the middle of the field, um, first of all, I want to know that I've got a guy that, that you know, he's, he's going to be very good in the air and he's going to be able to win that ball uh, most of the time at the highest point. And, and this, is, this, is a, this is a great opportunity if you have that guy because typically the defense is standing there and they may take a step or two and they have to jump straight up where as you're streaming down onto the ball and you're going to run it at, at, at full speed. That's where we want the kicker to put that ball so the jumper can time out his run without stopping, run at full speed and jump and catch that above the highest point where the receiver is standing there from a somewhat of a – he may have to take a step or two, but he's going to have to stand there and, and go try and gather that. So certainly have responsibilities where people go beyond the ball, um, someone stays back in case it gets tapped back. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, again, it's a dangerous proposition if you don't win that ball, though, because now you're set, sat at the middle of the field, and there's more opportunities. You're, you're, for the, uh, the, the receiving team, they win it. Dave, you know what I was just thinking. You could probably go week, week, as you said, you could talk about this for two hours, and you can go through every single scenario. You know, you know what I'd like to get. I'd like to talk about the actual skill of the lift and the catch above your head in the air, how you practice that. Cause the guys do, it's not like a line out where guys are pretty close together and, and you kind of know where it's going. It's, it's more like you really have to communicate the jumper has to sprint to the ball, get set. They lift to catch the ball. And, and, and just like a punt returner, every punt returner in, 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 in football is told sprint to the ball, get set, catch the ball. Don't drift. If you drift into the ball, that's where you have trouble, especially when you're drifting toward the ball. The ball's landing at 35, 40 miles an hour. You're jumping and landing at 30, 40 miles an hour, 30, or 25, 30 miles an hour, and that, that's a real, a real collision course that you have. So you sprint to the ball, get set, catch the ball. That allows you to have soft hands. If you could just talk us through how do you work the lift and the jump in that, in that area of play and also on the short kickoff, where you winger or whatever, or or your or your second row or or your eight or whoever it is goes down and they attack the ball. How do you how do you train those skills when maybe you don't have a great kicker at practice? You got to throw the ball in the air, or you know maybe you have to have some guy punt it off its off it off the uh, off the point of the ball or something like that to get kind of a realistic look. How do you practice those things? How could you give younger players and some of our listeners the skills to become good at the restart if they could do a few things take take two or three things away right now as a last question on the show what would you tell them i think the i think i get i, I take it bruce what you're talking about is um a ball kicked into the the typical um second row Absol area absolutely a ball kicked into the typical area just like the thing that 90 percent of our listeners are going to see Virtually every time, a ball kicked yeah. to the pack. Yeah. So if uh, you know, we, we typically would like um, 
if you look at a, a typical situation there, you're going to have your second rows. They're generally guys that are pretty good in the air um, in that, that uh, kickoff that comes to uh, just beyond maybe the, the 10 meter and there's a little bit of height and, and the, the attacking team is trying to challenge on it. The, the benefit for the receiving team, as you said, is that they can get a lift in and catch the ball at a, at a higher point than hopefully somebody can jump at. So I think the, the important part is that you position the second rows or maybe that's, maybe it's, you know, who knows, maybe there's a, it's your, your back row. I'm, I'm, I'm inclined more to, to look at who can do the job best than saying it's typically that, you know, it's going to be the second row. Like I said, though, maybe it is that guy just because he's, he's uh, used to being lifted and, and good in the air. So if we say that we have two jumpers. We're going to stand them in a position at depth where they can come onto the ball. We don't want to stand them at 10 meters so that they have to run back, right? So um, at the same time, they're probably not going to be on the 22. There's uh, probably a happy medium there where they can they can run onto the ball. Now, the, the tough part, Bruce, is as you said, is um, figuring out where they need to be. This ball is high in the air. If there's a little bit of wind, it might drift. So these guys have to be pretty good at recognizing flights of the ball. And, and, and it, it's certainly something that you can, you can go through and talk about, but it, it's also experience and they have to have time under the ball and they have to have received a number of, of, of these balls just in practice to, to figure, figure that out. And, and in terms of the lifting players, they have to make sure that they're giving him the space to move to his spot so this guy has to back himself. He has to say, I see the flight of the ball, then, I, then that's going to be in my area. I'm going to call it, and I'm going to get to my point where I know that ball is going to come down and get set so that then his lifters can get to him. And, you know, and <laughs> again, we could probably go through another couple hours on, on, on technique in terms of uh, lifting, jumping here. But uh, for, for brevity purposes, to, just to get to that, that set point so that the lifters can then say, yeah, he's, he's found a spot. Now I can come and lift him once he says set and he's ready to go up and get that ball. Now there's always, I mean, even the best guys are going to miss that out. So I think you have to have uh, a plan in terms of that ball, um, not getting to the spot. And, and as you said, in the kickoff there, Bruce, having a guy in behind, I always like to have somebody responsible for that. And sometimes we might even have a strategy where, you know, we put that pod up, but we, we don't even, we just want them to be the decoy and someone catches it in behind. It's a bit of a risky proposition because uh, he's probably a bit on his own and isolated, but it's certainly, you know, if you throw it in there every once in a while, that guy can maybe go on a, on a good rumble because the focus is on that jumping pod. Yeah, I was actually, uh, <laughs> I was actually just going to say that a lot of teams, what they do is they send that guy up, they just have a guy catch it in behind them just in behind them so that it's he's almost he's almost protected he's got a wall in front of him that they can't touch and they got to kind of go around to get him and it uh it slows him down i don't know how, how often they've been able to get a rumble on it but they've been able to really just kind of secure around that guy so no that definitely is a point now as far as i mean you got to think about the skill there too this, this jumper is being lifted bit faster than he would hopefully if he just jumped out the ground and higher so he's going up as this ball is coming down it requires a tremendously soft set of hands to catch that at at the highest point and it's a it's a difficult skill 
but certainly with a bit of repetition, something you can handle. And in terms of the lifters, you know, that they're also probably going to get smashed and they have to stay strong and look after the guy in the air, get him up dynamically, but protect him on the way down as well. Thanks for joining us on Rugger Matrix USA and good luck uh, with the Eagles when uh, they are finally assembled later in the year. Thanks, Jiro. Thanks, Bruce. There is Dave Hodges joining us and that is it for Rugger Matrix USA episode 13. We'll be back next week with another bumper show.